With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of the Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather, now at chumpacasino.com. Welcome to the family. VGW Group, no purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. See terms and conditions, 18 plus. Tensors are the mathematical objects used in Einstein's general theory of relativity. And now they're in poster form. We have a lovely 24 by 36 inch poster that we made about tensors. And it's available on facebook.com slash breakingmathpodcast. Just click on shop. The posters are matte, full color, and make a perfect addition to any office. So for $15.15 plus $4.50 shipping and handling, a total of $19.65, you can get this poster for you or someone you know. So check it out at facebook.com slash breakingmathpodcast. When you click on store, and if you like our show and have a wall, I'm sure it's right for you. We're on Patreon at patreon.com slash breakingmath. You can go there if you want to support the show. Even a $1 donation makes all the difference to us. If you enjoy the program, how about the opportunity to be essential to our show? And we'll send you a thank you message with $1 or more. You gain access to episodes slightly early and without ads. We also include the outlines we use to produce the show. And of course, we really appreciate all of our fans. And we would certainly appreciate your patronage at patreon.com slash breaking For news about the show... We're on Twitter at BreakingMathPod, on Facebook at Facebook.com slash BreakingMathPodcast, and we have an interactive website at BreakingMathPodcast.app. Tweet us your math and science memes. The world may depend on it. Tweet at us. Interact with the host. Sophia is SciPodSophia with an F. Gabriel is TechPodGabe, and Merrill is FuturePodMerrill. Get in touch with us at BreakingMathPodcast at gmail.com with questions, comments, suggestions, corrections, and anything else you might think would benefit our show. You can also send us an email at BreakingMathPodcast at gmail.com. Mathematics is a subject that has been used for great things over time. It has helped people grow food, design shelter, and is used in every part of life. It should be then no surprise that sometimes mathematics is used for evil. That is to say, there are times where mathematics is used to either implement or justify regressive things, like greed, racism, classism, and even genocide. So when has math been used for destructive purposes? What makes us misapply mathematics? And why can oversimplification lead to devastation? All of this and more on this episode of Breaking Math. Episode 67, Wrath of Math. (music) 
I'm Sophia, and I'm going to be doing this episode alone today. But don't worry, we're going to be talking about some cool stuff today. Uh, we're going to be talking about when math goes wrong. So it's going to happen for a couple reasons. Uh, it could either be misapplied, that is to say valid math is used incorrectly, and that type of uh, misuse of math is usually used to convince people of something used for justifications, versus when math is misused which is to say that valid math is used for harmful purposes, it's more directly used. This is, this is what you see when you use uh, math for things like uh, bad accounting, which we'll talk about later, um, which can get a lot uglier than you might think. All right. First, we, and yes, we, uh, it's you and me, listener, are going to be talking about Thomas Robert Malthus. He was born either the 13th or 14th of February in 1766 in uh, Westcott, which is in Surrey, England. And he died uh, 68 years later uh, on the 23rd of December, 1834 in Bath, which is in Somerset. So Malthus was a macroeconomist. What he did mostly was look at big trends in uh, society. And what he saw, or what he thought he saw, and we'll talk about more about that later, is an exponential increase in population over time with a linear increase in food production ability. And what that means, if you think about it, is let's say you and me both have $1 on day one of uh, the year. Let's say on day two, somebody gives me $1,000. And uh, all they do is double your money. Well, you have $2 and I have $1,001. On day three, I have $2,001 and you have four. So uh, you don't have very much for the time being. But there um, is a time uh, very soon, uh, I believe is around like $7,001 uh, uh, for one side. Uh, the doubling quickly takes over. And a misapplication of exponential growth uh, is actually a common theme in the misuse of mathematics. Um Basically, what it assumes is that some trend will continue forever. Uh, XKCD has a good cartoon about this where um, somebody estimates that in two weeks, uh, they're going to be uh, married to over uh, 14 people based on yesterday they were married with zero and today they're married with one. So it is a flaw in logic and there are some uh, there is some support for uh, this idea. Um I mean, uh, there are um, countries where there are uh, problems with supply. However, these correlate with uh, with bigger and different macroeconomic trends uh, we'll talk about in a second. So this quote, I think, is really telling of Malthus's uh, philosophy. We will suppose the means of subsistence in any country just equal to the easy support of its inhabitants. The constant effort towards population increases the number of people before the means of subsistence are increased. The food, therefore, which before supported seven millions, must now be divided among seven millions and a half or eight millions. The poor, consequently, must live much worse, and many of them be reduced to severe distress. The number of laborers also being above the proportion of the work in the market, the price of labor must tend towards a decrease, while the price of provisions would at the same time tend to rise. So you could really see the simplification in this trend. I don't think it's a surprise to many of you that Malthus... Uh, and Malthusians in general perceive ideas of charity to the poor um, as being uh, futile. And uh, this has been used um, especially in uh, Tory and Whig politics in uh, England, and uh, more recently with uh, Neo-Malthusianism, uh, which uh, is used sometimes to justify eco-fascism. 
So uh, one of his critics at the time was uh, Frederick Engels, um, who uh, was born on the 20th of November, 1820, and died in 1895 on the 5th of August. He was born in Barman in the Kingdom of Prussia, and he died in London, England. So he was born somewhere in uh, modern-day um, Austria or Germany. So Engels' argument wasn't perfect uh, itself, uh, but what he argued was that the more people there are, the quicker we can develop uh, new ways to grow things. And in some ways he was correct. I mean, uh, farming has uh, grown in efficiency so much since the start. I mean, uh, factory farming for all its uh, bad things is, um, I mean, everybody, no, nobody can say it, it isn't efficient, right? It also fails to uh, account for uh, the fact that humans aren't just you know, we're not like Volvoxes. We're not these simple life forms that just reproduce, reproduce, reproduce. Even they probably have uh, evolved mechanisms like humans. For example, in times of uh, famine and hardship, people don't have as many uh, children um, for uh, for a period of time. There's all sorts of weird uh, correlations that you could find like this. But suffice it to say, it doesn't. It's not good for an ecosystem if an animal takes over that ecosystem. And it's not good for that animal if that happens because it has no ecosystem, has nowhere to go. So over time, these mechanisms have uh, developed as an evolutionary uh, reaction to this thing. And uh, Stuart Brand in uh, The Whole Earth Discipline talks about how it's a uh, uh, contrast. The 1963 inflection point showed that the imagined soaring J curve of human increase was instead a normal S curve. An inflection point is uh, when uh, something goes from increasing more and more quickly to still increasing, but increasing less quickly. So if uh, it's like if you're on a roller coaster, it's like kind of like when you start the curve, it's kind of like in the middle of the curve before you get to the top where you're not curving upward anymore, but you're starting to curve downward, but you're still on the whole going up. Uh, mathematically speaking, it's where the second derivative is zero. But yeah, these kind of uh, simplifications uh, lead to uh, problems. I mean, it's led to problems uh, uh, before really the Lotka-Volterra model was known, which is a system of differential equations that model uh, predator-prey relationships. It could, you could uh, think of it intuitively as a lot of predators eat a lot of prey, so they grow quickly, um, but then the uh, prey, there's fewer of them, and then the foxes or whatever the uh, predator is uh, starve, so that goes down, and they go in cycles. And you can find these cycles um, in nature, um, but there was attempts, I believe it was in uh, Washington or Oregon in the United States, uh, where they decided to like kill all the deer in this forest, um, and it caused like mayhem. So it is really easy to oversimplify with mathematics, because simple solutions are beautiful sometimes. But we have to apply the real world to everything. We have to test everything and realize that we're working with models and understand their limitations, but also know in depth what they teach us. All right, so now we're going to talk about uh, accounting and when um, that is misused. So accounting is an application of math, right? It's addition and subtraction and sometimes multiplication when you're dealing with uh, things like taxes. But at the end of the day, it's addition and subtraction. Um, the accounting formula is pretty simple. It's your assets, uh, you know, like your uh, building that you do work from, your company, truck, whatever, is equal to your equity uh, plus your liabilities. Um, so like liabilities is things like um, unsold merchandise and equity is like money you have in the bank. So it should be no surprise that this uh, system, because it's so simple 
and it's used for so many complicated things. I mean, at the end of the day, everybody who uh, trades on the stock exchange, um, everybody brushes uh, with um, accounting principles at one point or another. I mean, just the term credit card is an accounting term uh, because you, uh, when you charge something, uh, your account is credited, which actually means it's decreased. Um, and it's uh, an accounts receivable, which is the money that you are supposed to give to the bank or some similar um, column in your ledger is increased. So it's kind of interesting how sometimes it's misused. And one way that it was misused is in the 1980s in Enron. Uh, there's a fabulous book I recommend called The Smartest Guys in the Room, which details the rise and fall of Enron. And it reads like a crime book because, okay, there's like things like people putting company money in their personal offshore account to um, make it look like the next month is an increase over the current month uh, be by uh, taking some of the excess profits and really shady things like that. And the way they accounted was absolutely no exception. Basically, they used a, a system of accounting. So Enron sold oil and uh, energy. So uh, they accounted for uh, profits in a very strange way. Normally, profits are counted uh, when you get the checks from the people and uh, you decrease the amount of money they owe in your books and you increase, um, you know, the cash that you actually have in your bank account. But Enron used a very obscure way of accounting um, and they only got away with it because uh, the SEC was at the time known for not being very litigious or very strong. Um, I mean, it was the uh, 1980s. And uh, they um, recorded all the profit that they would get from a, a contract for uh, natural gas or whatever when they did the sale, which made their profits look really big on paper. But it also meant that they had to increase the number of sales that they did every month to uh, have a growth, which is a much less stable way of showing growth. Um, it's really a more frantic way of growing. But um, they used it because they uh, because you know when you evaluate a comp stock valuation is a whole thing. I mean, we could get into um, more uh, economic and accounting principles at some point. They definitely deserve their own episode. But at the end of the day, it's good to know that um, accounting is used for a lot of good things. Every endeavor, every business, um, every uh, whatever you have, a club needs to account for its things, and so use as a way of knowing where your endeavor stands. Before accounting was a big thing in Europe, people would be like, okay, I have this barrel and that barrel, I guess. I would have these coins. But then with you had accounting, they're like, oh, okay, I'm like losing money this month. And um, because it's a way of knowing where people are, that's why you had things like Hindu Arabic numerals, the kind that you and me use every day, being banned in uh, Florence uh, in favor of Rome numerals because uh, so they could be understood more easily by auditors and things like that. But accounting can be used validly for all sorts of evil, too, because not just good endeavors need to account for its th their things. Um, every nasty endeavor you've ever heard of uh, probably has a ledger somewhere. The, and this deserves its own episode, but I'll briefly mention that um, IBM designed machines uh, that were essentially big accounting machines that uh, took in punch cards uh, for uh, the, um, Nazi Germany in use in the Holocaust. So... This also brings us to a point, math doesn't have to be complicated for it to have bad impact. Anybody can understand accounting with a couple hours of a directed um, tutoring. Hey folks, it's your buddy Zuzax here to tell you again about Brilliant. Brilliant is an amazing asset for continuing your education or just brushing up on basics. If you're listening to this show, I'm sure you love learning. 
Maybe you already use Brilliant. Well, did you know it also makes an amazing gift for the holiday season? Do you need another Christmas present for Grandma who loves a challenge and you feel guilty about getting her another Sudoku book? Do you need a Kwanzaa present for your dungeon master? Make sure he can crush you and your party with a course in applied probability. Educational gifts are the tradition. Brilliant can offer all those things. So don't worry about getting beat up this Black Friday over that new toy. Go to brilliant.org slash breaking math. The first 200 listeners get 20% off. And to everyone listening, have a happy, brilliant holiday. Have you ever wondered which presidents would fare best in a 46-person battle royale? Have you ever stayed up all night asking who would win, the Ninja Turtles or the Thundercats? Have you ever stayed up wondering if Batman is a fascist? Don't worry, there's hope. Nerd Forensics. Nerd Forensics is not a cult, nor is it an alternative to any traditional form of medicine. Nerd Forensics is a podcast designed to help you unwind and laugh. So listen to Nerd Forensics, available anywhere you get this podcast. Warning, this podcast may contain some content not suitable for all listeners. If you feel like this may be you, then consult your parents. If you consult your parents, you're probably too young for the show. Hey, Breaking Math fans. First, I want to thank you for listening. I have an important message for everyone. You can start your own podcast right now with Anchor. Anchor lets you create and distribute your own podcast. Just get an idea, record, and upload. It's just that easy. Anyone can do it. I'm on my way to accomplishing my dream, and you can too. Just get on your device's app store and download Anchor. It contains everything you need to make a podcast. With Anchor, you can put your podcast on all the big platforms. Apple Podcast, Spotify, Google Podcast, Amazon, and more. Reach the whole world with Anchor. Best of all, Anchor is free. You have nothing to lose with a free platform. Download the Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. The last thing that we're going to talk about on this episode, and I realize it's a short episode, is gambling. Because gambling is a really interesting thing because if it's if it were understood en masse by people as a completely logical thing, nobody would gamble. Um, the house only makes money if the rules are weighted in its favor. And that's the thing is that a lot of people look at gambling and see only that and think, why do people gamble? And there are actually secondary benefits that are used to keep people there. You could think of this as a smoke and mirrors behind the math, like alcohol, um, good company, and, uh, you know, discussions and things like that. And, you know, games. A uh, game of cards is fun. Some people, like, you know, like uh, games of cards. Some people like the blinking lights in, um, in slot machines. That's why penny slots are big amongst people who didn't grow up uh, playing either arcade games or video games very much. Um, it's a need for that sort of um, impulse uh, stimulus. And so how does the house do this? Basically, they analyze the game statistically, and this was done in the 1600s um, in a lot of places, um, because as, as people created gambling systems, people were like, oh, we could, we could apply this fake math to real math and uh, make sure that we increase our earnings by keeping people both engaged and uh, winning less than we make. So, uh, you know, for example, in uh, roulette, if you in any game, if you bet both sides, you're going to lose a little bit of money. That's just how it works. Um, and that's kind of the statistical basis of all gambling. So I'm going to give an example here of blackjack. So blackjack, the goal is to get 
as close to 21 as you can or on 21 uh, without going over. Um, and the aces in this game are worth either 1 or 11 points, and face cards, meaning the jack, the um, king, and the queen, are worth 10 points. And um, the players are allowed to put down whatever cards they're uh, dealt uh, at one at a time. Uh, they can either hit or um, stand. Hit means they take another card. Stand means they um, stay where they are. And if they go over 21... Um, then they lose and uh, the dealer gets their money, vice versa, and uh, they win some money from the dealer. And uh, the dealer actually has very specific rule rules. Um, so in Blackjack, I'm just going to quote this. Uh, and this is actually from uh, BicycleCards.com. When the dealer has served every player, the dealer's face down card is turned up. If the total is 17 or more, it must stand. If the total is 16 or under, they must take a card. The dealer must continue to take cards until the total is 17 or more, at which point the dealer must stand. If the dealer has an ace, and counting it as 11 would bring the total to 17 or more, but not over 21, the dealer must count the ace as 11 and stand. So basically, it's an algorithm for how the dealer plays. And there's ways of getting around this, um, you know, like if you count cards uh, you'll, uh, and they don't shuffle the deck each time, you, you could, uh, if they play a lot of like high number cards, you're going to be like, oh, they have a higher probability of playing low number cards. But I would never advise doing this at any casino because best case scenario, you get kicked out forever. Worst case scenario, you get dead. Um, there are casinos where they don't mess around with uh, physical violence. And, uh, I mean, you, you went there, you knew what the deal was when you went in. Don't count cards. And uh, problem gamblers, interestingly, uh, have been shown by the Illinois Institute for Addiction Recovery to have a lack of norepinephrine, which is uh, often a component of risk-seeking behavior because risk-seeking gives you adrenaline, which is a norepinephrine. Um, Sensation-seeking impulsivity. Um, also traits of narcissism. And our editorial position here at Breaking Math is that no... Mental illness is a bad one, per se. Narcissism is viewed as a bad illness by a lot of people, but everything can be treated. Uh, to quote um, podcaster Marcus Parks, mental illness is not your fault, but it is your responsibility. So that was just a little diatribe. But it's interesting to note that these problems have a biological and psychological basis, which really shows how much of Spoke and Mirrors this thing is. It also goes to show how profitable profitable it is um for example the early lottery system which had uh, tickets designed by benjamin franklin who uh would actually use leaves on a big roll of ink um to uh, I verify identity you'd verify your slip against the one that they had and it was used to fund like you know things like the revolution and the early um united states government to a very large extent I mean, the um, lottery in uh, my home state of New Mexico, which I still reside in, is used for a scholarship. And I think the message can either be, one, that gambling can use, be used for good things, but I think a bigger message is that we have the money to fix a lot of good problems already. Uh, we just need to apply it. That's my little diatribe. Every tool can be used for bad things, and mathematics is no exception. When you learn to wield a tool, whatever it is, Learning about what it can do should always entail learning how you can harm yourself or others with what it does or makes. Humans have an uncanny ability to learn new things, and how to be careful with math 
as well as science, should be one of them. I'm Sophia Baca, and I'm losing my voice. But um, I was just going to mention that I was going to delve into IQ and racial science, but those really do need to be their own episodes. I am on Twitter, at SciPodSophia. So that's Sophia with an F. And I'm also at Breaking Math Pod. Um, that's the podcast's uh, Twitter. Uh, we all post on that. And uh, if you want a gift for someone for Christmas, why don't you get them a Tensor poster? We have that at Facebook.com slash Breaking Math Podcast. Uh, check it out and get it if, you, if that's your thing or someone you love's thing. Thank you.